0: soccer fans welcome to episode 67 of the stars and stripes fc podcast donald wine here manager of stars and stripes fc your source for all things u.s national teams the players that comprise them and everything else surrounding the game of soccer in america we are back after thanksgiving the women's national team have completed two games in australia so we will talk about that the men's national team they do have a game coming up in december on december 18th against bosnia and Herzegovina, but We now know where the qualifiers will be played in January and February. So we will talk about that as well. And finally, we have to get into some of the rumored U.S. soccer jerseys that will be coming out in 2022. What do they look like? How good are they? How bad are they? It has been a big debate. I will give my take if you haven't heard it already online on this episode 67. But I want to start first with the women's national team. As I mentioned, Two matches in November in Australia. The first one, November 26th at Stadium Australia in Sydney. That proved to be a really nice affair for the women's national team. A 3 nothing demolition of Australia. Goals by Ashley Hatch, who scored her debut goal for the women's national team 24 seconds into the match. The third fastest in women's national team history. We also got a goal by Rose Lavelle and a PK goal later on by Lindsay Horan and And in that game, we saw a lot of talent on the field. A lot of names and faces that many of you out there may not have heard of or have vaguely heard of because you haven't been able to see them in the NWSL or otherwise. But we saw that the future of the women's national team is looking to be pretty bright, and some of them might be ready to contribute right now. I thought Midge Purse, uh, I've talked the world of Midge Purse this entire year. She has proven to be one of the best American women in soccer And she was all that and then some in this match and also the next match that we will talk about in just a second. But Mitch Purse, one of those players that I think you cannot keep her off the national team anymore, in my opinion. She has to be in every camp. She needs to be the future and one of the main future faces of this team. Andy Sullivan, I thought was great in the midfield, just controlling it because that was one thing that the Aussies were looking to do was trying to get past the midfield and and send things forward so that the midfield was kind of backtracking. Andy Sullivan would have none of that. Andy Sullivan had a terrific, terrific game, not just against Australia and Sydney, but also in the second match in Newcastle. She, again, like Mitch Purse, I think one of the people that should be called into every single camp and should be the future and maybe the now of this national team. Who knows? Potential future captain, Andy Sullivan. I know she hasn't been on the in the team that many times, but... She shows that moxie for the Washington Spirit. My Washington Spirit, again, your NWSL champions. Congratulations to them on, as an aside. But I think Andy Sullivan has proven that on the national team. And in these two camps, she has earned not just a second look, but a third and fourth look as the uh, potential successor to Julie Ertz in that midfield as that kind of center defense mid. So we will see what happens going forward. But I think Andy Sullivan will factor into that. And then you saw a lot of you know young faces. Casey Murphy... Not only did she excel as the goalkeeper, she got the shutout in the first game. She also probably put herself into position to be considered as one of the contenders for the number one job. I mean, even over Alyssa Nayer. I know Nair has been hurt for most of the year. But when we come back, there's probably going to be a competition and Casey Murphy needs to factor into that along with Jane Campbell and Alyssa Nair. So she really made the most of her opportunity in Australia. So again, that first match on November 26th, a 3-0 U.S. Women's National Team victory. Then we had the second match, which took place in Newcastle. It was on the morning of November 30th, which was my birthday, so happy birthday to me. I am a year older, a year wiser, uh, but also it was great to wake up at 4 a.m. to uh, start my birthday off by watching the best team on the planet play. And Ashley Hatch, again, another quick goal. This one took four minutes, so she waited a little bit before she was able to strike, but strike she did, and again, made the most of her opportunity by starting both games and getting quick goals in both. It remained one nothing for almost the entire match, but late, late in the game, a deflection, a Kaya Simpson shot deflected off of Becky Sauerbrunn, and it was a nasty deflection. Very, very unlucky. It goes past Casey Murphy for the equalizing goal, and the game ends 1-1. So, While you take a little bit of disappointment in ending 1-1 because in the end, I think the U.S. deserved that win, it was a really, really good trip when you look at both games and how they played generally overall. It was a great trip to Australia with this group of ladies. Now, you had some youth, you had some experience, and they were able to mesh well together. And now Vlatko has some options when he reconvenes camp I think they're calling for a January camp without games that will bring in more domestic players. But then you have She Believes in February. We don't know the logistics of who we're playing or where we're playing, but he will have some options and some choices to make when it comes to whether he decides to start moving forward and bringing in some of these younger players or relying on the veterans that have been involved with the U.S. Women's National Team for a long time we we know we're going to start to see some turnover it's a question of when that turnover happens and in what positions does it happen first so uh, we obviously have a couple of players who uh, may not be uh, factoring in due to other reasons namely crystal dunn who is now pregnant congratulations to her very very excited uh, for her and her family Uh, but I, i think when it comes to when she's ready to come back, she's still the best left back on the planet and she will come back and be a force to be reckoned with. But who takes that role while she's out? Midge Purse moved up to the wing and everyone has been saying, myself included, free Midge. Put her up on the wing, let her cook. And she did that. So now you can't really call her and say, yeah, move back to left back. We need her up on the wing. And I think that creative option with her, Kristen Press, when she comes back, like those type of players, Sophia Smith, Lynn Williams, you have a lot of options up front, in the middle, on the back line, and even in goal. So Vlatko and Danowski, I don't envy you once again because you have a lot of decisions to make. And they're very difficult decisions, but also that's what happens when you are the coach of the number one team in the world. You have these decisions on where to put players, who to call in, who not to call in, and why. And we look forward to seeing what he does with the evaluation, not just from this camp in Australia, but the future camp in January before he announces a SheBelieves roster. Keep in mind, next summer is the World Cup qualifying tournament for CONCACAF. Is the CONCACAF W Championship. It also serves as qualifying for the Olympics. So that is a big, big, big summer for the women's national team. It will define the next two years of this squad. So, We have to see who our best players are going to be and we have to make sure that we have them ready to go. So some of these young players are going to step up and Vlatko has to figure out ways to give them opportunities to show what they can do because the future of the team could be now and it may be upon him and the rest of the coaching staff to identify that and start that transition now so that we can have them at full strength next summer. We will pause here for a quick break. On the other side, we will get into all the men's national team news, the January match announcements, and also those 2022 U.S. jerseys. Obviously, the men and women will be wearing them. What do they look like? And How do I feel about it? Stick around and find out. All right, we are back, and we are going to shift gears to the men's national team again in January. We have a game on December 18th for the men's national team against Bosnia and Herzegovina, but that is not our concern for this episode. We will talk about that next week, most likely, when we get a roster. But the January match announcements have happened, and now we know where the three World Cup qualifiers will be and where the men's national team will be playing. First off, on January 27th, the men's national team will host El Salvador. and that game, the team will return to Columbus. Columbus gets a second octagonal World Cup qualifier. A city has not hosted multiple World Cup qualifiers in the final round since Foxborough did it in 1997 and 2001. Both of those obviously were hexagonal rounds. So Columbus becomes the first city in almost two decades to host two World Cup qualifiers in the final round of CONCACAF World Cup qualifying. So we will talk about that in just a second. After Columbus, the team will travel to Canada, and we knew this was coming. Hamilton is the site for that game. Tim Hortons Field, a.k.a. the Donut Box, uh, which is a great nickname for a stadium, Uh, Hamilton, Ontario will be the center of the Canadian universe for that game on January 30th. That is their only home game. They will be playing at El Salvador and at Honduras during their window. So they want to play more on the East Coast. That bodes well for the United States. who will only have to travel from Columbus to Hamilton for that game. Then finally, to round it off, February 2nd, Groundhog Day. We will be in St. Paul, Minnesota at Allianz Field to host Honduras. So Columbus, Hamilton, St. Paul. There's a couple things that I think are important about this window. One, they wanted to get out into the cold because they knew that Canada was going to put their home match against the United States in a outdoor stadium in the cold winter of Canada. And, you know, Canada is not much colder than the United States, particularly Hamilton, which is about an hour away from Buffalo. But, if you've been to Buffalo in a winter, you know it's cold, and you know that Hamilton will be equally as cold with lake effect snow and winds and, and things like that to help influence or affect, in however you want to take it, the game, and Canada wanted that advantage for their players. Now, the United States, knowing that Canada is going to play at El Salvador and at Honduras, which are not cold weather places, they figured, why don't we get acclimated to the cold first? And they want it to be acclimated to the cold well before Canada does. Because, again, Canada is going to be playing in 75, 80-degree weather in El Salvador and then have to fly back to what could be 10-degree, 5-degree, 0-degree weather in Hamilton. So they will have bigger adjustment to the cold than the United States will because they will be playing at lower.com field in Columbus. Now, a note on Columbus. A lot of people have asked me, what do I think? about Columbus hosting a second match. And I wanna stress that what I'm going to say has nothing to do with Columbus itself, but I think no city should be hosting multiple qualifiers. That's just my opinion. There's too many soccer stadiums in this country that are great and can be great, great atmospheres and home field advantages for our men's national team. I think Minnesota is one that I would have put the El Salvador match in, a great stadium, and I'm glad they're getting the Honduras game. Kansas City's out there. Um, I think still the best soccer-specific stadium in this country. There are plenty of other stadiums that could possibly have hosted this game. Obviously, you could have shuffled some things around. Obviously, there was a couple of stadiums that were probably excluded. Living in D.C., I obviously would love a World Cup qualifier to be here at Audi Field, but the El Salvador match was never going to be it. El Salvador, they have a massive population here in D.C., so having that match here would have been a non-starter. But I think there are several other places that did not get games that could have hosted this game. And obviously, you could have put this game in Minnesota. In addition to being acclimated to the weather, there's also the fact that Hamilton, uh, Tim Hortons Field is turf. And a lot of our guys have never played on turf. So you had those options as well. Going to a Charlotte maybe, which is not as cold, but it still can be cold in January. You could go to Atlanta and play in the Benz, which is indoor, and you wouldn't have to worry about the elements, but you would also be able to be acclimated to the turf and get used to how the ball bounces on there because it's different, as you all know, and the problem is some of our players who play in Europe and have played exclusively in Europe have not had the opportunity to play on turf. So there's that as well, and learning how to get acclimated to how a cold turf bounces would be something to consider, but... In the end, they go to with Columbus, and as I mentioned, I, I don't think that was the right move solely for the fact that Columbus has already hosted a match, and there are plenty of places in this country that could have an equally great home field advantage. Cold, turf, whatever, there's too many stadiums in this country for us to be going back to one so soon. And if you think about it, over a market in Ohio, they have had three straight home qualifiers at this point. Columbus in October. Obviously, the Mexico match was in Cincinnati, and then the very next home game, they will be going back to Columbus. So that's a lot to ask for the people of Ohio to go to every single one of those matches and pay you know, pay for those tickets. So uh, I think that it remains to be seen whether that works. Of course, I hope we win there, and if we win there, that changes things, and everyone will say, oh, well, going back there was probably the right decision. But we could still be skeptical at how that's going to work, especially in the wintertime when they have just seen their team play twice in the last two months. So I'll leave it at that. Going to Hamilton, I I say bring it on. They were, for Canada, they were talking about going to Vancouver. I said, I wish they would. For Edmonton, I wish they would too. Winnipeg, don't care. Love Winnipeg. Went there for the Women's World Cup. I would go back. Toronto, go to BMO Field. Olympic Stadium in Montreal, Ottawa. I didn't care where they played that game. But Hamilton presents an interesting scenario because everyone from the United States has to drive to Hamilton because Hamilton's airport is small and it doesn't take any American-based airlines. So everyone's going to have to fly to Toronto or Buffalo and drive. So they're going to have to get used to that. Our players obviously will probably fly charter so they can fly directly into Hamilton, but it, they wanted to make it difficult for Americans to get to because of the driving element. But I'm going to tell you, that's not stopping us. There's going to be a ton of American fans at that game on January 30th in Hamilton. It will be a great atmosphere. I am so very looking forward to that. And then finally, February 2nd, in St. Paul, Minnesota, Honduras, St. Paul is going to be cold in February. Cold, cold, cold. And I love it. I want to be a part of that type of atmosphere. I want to be able to be in the stands and cheer on our guys That keeps you warm, ladies and gentlemen. So everyone who has pause about being outside in the cold, yeah, it will be bitterly cold. But that's why they invented jackets and hats. And I'm starting to invest in a lot of those. And we will have them ready for February 2nd. So St. Paul, get ready. Allianz Field is going to be the center of the American soccer world on February 2nd. Groundhog Day. If someone wants to bring Parks and Tony Field to the game, I got his ticket. But it will be great to see... Everyone there and hopefully will fill up that stadium, which I think is, again, one of the best in this country. So I'm really glad that Minnesota will get to shine once again for the soccer world. So there are your three matches, Columbus, Hamilton, St. Paul, all cold. Everyone who's going. I know the ticket application window has just opened for almost everyone. So make sure you invest in cold gear. Find them on the internet, they're running sales. This is why the holiday season invented sales and there's a lot of them on winter gear, so make sure you bundle up. We're gonna need everyone to be in those stadiums to make sure that we get nine points. Because again, as I mentioned last time, nine points could put us into great, great position to possibly qualify by the end of that window if a lot of things happen. But it starts with three points in every single one of those games. Three times three is nine. That will create some separation between us and the rest of the pack, particularly the top four, which is already in a log jam right now. If we can get separation from one of those teams, the United States are back in the World Cup. All right. Finally, we get to the U.S. soccer jerseys. Now, there have been some leaks about the rumored design of the u.s soccer jerseys for 2022 now mind you this would be both for the men and for the women's team so we're not going to call it just the world cup jersey we're not going to call it just the men's national League jersey both teams would wear this jersey when it comes out now it is scheduled to come out right around august or september of next year to kind of lead into the 2022 world cup so it makes sense for people to kind of link it to the men but the women will be wearing this too, so I'm going to treat it as a U.S. soccer jersey for all. Having said that, what we have seen on the internet is something that we need to address. Now, the rumored home jersey, for those of you who haven't seen I'm going to try to describe it to you. It's a white t-shirt. That's it. It's a white t-shirt with two navy swooshes on the sleeves and some light, sublimated, like light, light gray stripes. Not not. 2010 sash gray i'm talking gotta use a microscope to see it's gray across the front and the a road jersey would be a royal blue not navy blue royal blue jersey that is basically assimilated the same way a plain blue jersey with some light streaks across the front and swooshes on either sleeve so the swooshes part i, I don't really care about they're trying to make it look like the nfl whatever they want to whatever they do there is fine But the plain white tee, this is a problem. We have to stop relying on the white t-shirt and saying that it's clean or it's a cool look or it's sleek. If you have to use those kind of definitions, then it's not a good jersey. We have so many possible ways we could go with a jersey to make it look great. Again, we have the Dazzle Camel jersey that's out right now. Everyone loves that jersey, even after a a little bit of skepticism. But people are like, hey, at least they tried. There's a design. It may not work for all, but everyone at least appreciates the attempt. No one appreciates this attempt because this attempt didn't happen. I could go into any closet and find a white T-shirt that looks just like the U.S. jersey that is rumored to be coming out. And again, I stress rumored because we don't know if this is the final one. But if you're U.S. soccer and Nike, you have some explaining to do. Because there is a jersey out there, and I'm going to say it because in this world, I'm right. The Waldo jersey is the perfect jersey for the United States men's national team. It is. And it's also the most popular. Rated by everyone. And and every time there is a poll or some sort of debate about which jersey has been the best of all time, the 2012 U.S. men's national team jersey and U.S. women's national team jersey, a.k.a. the Waldos, have always won. I did one last year. It won overwhelmingly. And I'm telling you, it wasn't close. It was like 75% of people want that jersey to be our jersey identity. But above all that, people just want us to have a jersey identity. A white t-shirt doesn't do that. When you think of a white t-shirt jersey, who do you think of? Is it the United States first? Because if you say it's the United States first, you're lying. Because there's so many other jerseys out there that look like everyone else. Most people will think of England or Germany well before they think of the United States when it comes to a white home jersey. Now, you can throw whatever shorts you want on there, white, blue, whatever, but the white t-shirt has never symbolized the United States and it never should, and it never will. So why don't we go with something that does define America? Go with the stars, go with the stripes. It's literally our flag. We have one of the most unique flags on the planet and you can use that to your advantage, but we somehow choose to use a blank canvas and turn it in as our final project. We can't do that. We have to be more imaginative, and we need to be more creative. We we need to stop thinking that because it has a pattern that people won't buy it. Croatia is one of the most sought-after jerseys on the planet, and it has a checkerboard. Nigeria has some of the greatest jerseys on the planet, and they sell out every single time they come out with anything. Anything, t-shirt, jersey, pants, shorts, anything they do is outlandish. It's 100% authentic. It's 100% them, and it sells out in the entire world. The last time they put out a jersey, three million were sold in the first day. Do you think the U.S. Men's National Team sold three million jerseys the first day of the white jersey that came out in 2020? No, they didn't. They have to understand that people want us, when we walk down the street, when we go to the World Cups in Qatar or Australia or New Zealand, we want to be identified immediately as, oh my goodness, the Americans are here, and boy, did they come in numbers. You can't tell that when you're wearing a white jersey that's blank, that just has a name and a number on the back, and just a small crest in the front to show that it's a U.S. soccer jersey. It can't be a template. It can't be something that other teams are wearing. There are three colors in our flag, and we seem somehow seem to run away from two of them. And that's very disappointing. And even on the road jersey, being royal blue instead of navy blue, Royal blue is something that, yeah, it could be used as an accent color maybe sometimes. But when it comes to the World Cups, we want them to be something that identifies with this flag, with our principles, with our ideals, everything that makes us Americans about diversity and never running away. You never want to wave a white flag. We are taught that when we are two. And somehow we walk out on the field in white jerseys and expect that to be something that people call sleek or clean. We have to do better than that. We really do. And the problem is, you know, some people are taking it to their own hands, namely me. I just started designing jerseys that look cool, and people buy them. And if people want to buy them, that's great. If people think they're too outlandish or garish, that's fine too. But we can have that debate. I'd rather have the debate about it being too outlandish than being too clean. And finally, when it comes to white jerseys, this is a very simple answer to a lot of debates. Most people don't like white t-shirts because they like doing stuff that get jerseys dirty. Whether it be drinking a beer at a tailgate, eating a hot dog or a hamburger that has ketchup and mustard on it. And that mustard gets on your jersey and all of a sudden your jersey is ruined. When it comes to a, a navy blue jersey or a red jersey, that it can be hidden a little bit more. It can be cleaned and, and worn again. But once once a white jersey is stained, that's it. It's it; It's done. We have to think outside the box when it comes to our U.S. national team jerseys. And that box is so small, that barrier is so low, that bar is so low, and we still find a way to go under it. We need to start stepping out and saying, let's be who we are. Let's have where our flag represents who we are. Let's have where our jerseys represent the diverse collection of fans and players that we have on this national team. Now, after all that, I mean, look, I have like 750 jerseys in my closet. One of those jerseys will probably find its way into my collection, but I'm not itching to go get it. And if I, who will literally buy any jersey, am debating whether or not to get a jersey, that means you need to approach the drawing board again and start over. And a lot of people are doing it this way. A lot of people are saying, this is the line in the sand. We got to do something else. We've had the sash. We've had the Waldo's. We've had the bomb pops. We don't have, while a lot of these jerseys are beloved, we don't have any consistency. We don't have any identity. Let's take the time. Talk with fans who actually wear jerseys and go to games. Talk with people who actually want to use this as more of a lifestyle brand and as a lifestyle expression of who they are and what they represent. Get them in a room to talk to Nike and U.S. soccer about these jerseys. Don't have the boardrooms do it. Make it so that we have ownership in this identity, this soccer identity that this nation is trying to create. You want us to be a part of it from the grassroots? It involves this, too. It involves the jerseys. So we're probably going to be disappointed next year, ladies and gentlemen. We're probably going to have this plain white jersey and a plain royal blue jersey as What we potentially walk into a World Cup with, both for the men and for the women. And we could do a lot better. And I know a lot of you out there feel the same. I want to keep this discussion going on the website, starsandstripesfc.com. If you have questions, comments, ssfcpodcast at gmail.com. But that will do it for episode 67 of this Stars and Stripes FC podcast. Welcome to December, ladies and gentlemen. We are very close to the end of 2021 pretty soon 2022 will be in our mix and we will try to get more episodes out this month as we get towards the new year so thank you all so much for listening as always make sure you like subscribe rate review we really appreciate all of it, it helps us boost our numbers and helps us boost our visibility and accessibility to everyone who may want to hear what we have to say so we'll be back next week we will probably be looking at the men's national team roster for December and talking about the December camp or the Ignat camp or whatever you want to call it. So until then, stress yourselves with the your jerseys, ladies and gentlemen, and take care.